This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden Podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And I would like to say right off the bat that I do take advantage of my right to vote. As you should. As we all should. And that has everything to do with today's episode, which is part two of our two-part series about the new IFB. New IFB, so fresh, so clean. Um, not really. If you are joining us for the first time, the Leaving Eden podcast is a podcast about Sadie Carpenter's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult, also known as the IFB cult. We call them the IFB. Uh, we seek to educate and to inform our listeners about this cult and other cults and the real and present danger that they pose to society as a whole. We wish to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought and freedom of religion. 
So if this is your first time tuning in, I would highly recommend going back and listening to earlier episodes, especially our five-part first family of fundamentalism series uh, that we did last year, because you know that contains a lot of the history, a lot of the information that is important to know. And as I said, this is the second part of a two-part episode that we're doing. So at least go back and listen to the last episode. Cool. Okay. Let's okay. Go. Let's go. In the last episode, we talked about the differences between the new IFB and the old IFB. And of course, these names are confusing because the new IFB is not more progressive or more modern than the old IFB. In fact, the exact opposite is true. The new IFB sees the old IFB as liberal. And the primary lines of disagreement are around extremely specific specifics about the King James Version of the Bible, the timing of the rapture relative to the tribulation, and also just major anti-Semitism for no reason. Well, for a well, lot of reasons that we went over, but yeah. for no good reason. No, we did we did go over a lot of the theological differences and how these theological dif- uh, differences result in really extreme hatred of Jewish people. I mean, that seems to be a side effect. If you have some extreme beliefs, that's usually a side effect of your extreme beliefs anyway. And I'm super glad that we got the opportunity to dig into some of that theology because I feel like it can be hard to understand from the outside why these theological differences are even important or why people get so worked up about them. Yeah. And th- see, that's one of the things that we talk about on the show, though. Like if you because like if you've made it into this far into this show, if you've listened to this many episodes, you know that theology is just one of the things that we talk about. And you really like we can't get past the surface level of this cult stuff without having at least a surface level discussion about theology. But now that we've talked about that, we talked about that last time we've had our dinner. We've eaten our vegetables, and now we can have our dessert. Now we can really get into the crazy stuff. The thing is that that these people make major life decisions based on theology. I think most of us regular people make some decisions based purely on morals or what we believe to be ethical. Um, I think many people make decisions based on religion. Not everybody does. But the people that we talk about on this show, they need a theological exposition to to decide what to put on when they get out of bed in the morning. And I I mean that absolutely literally. We know that you mean that literally. Like like we've talked about appropriate styles of pajamas are are dictated by theology. (laughs) But yes. So my Pink Floyd uh, Dark Side of the Moon pajama bottoms would not be allowed. No. Sorry. Rock music. Rock music yeah. is of the devil. Not appropriate. Not appropriate. Also, uh, also, oh, also, uh, extremely inappropriate for you to mention the word pajamas in front of somebody of the opposite gender. So you're in trouble for two things. <laughs> really, pajamas? Oh yeah. Mm. But we had. We, anyway, we did some. <laughs> great. We got our first. We got our first digression out of the way under five minutes. This is perfect. No, we did some really hard work. Um, bringing you the last episode. And this episode, we will maybe get to have a little bit more fun. We're going to play some clips, have some laughs, and we're going to talk about the man best known as the Pissing Preacher. Yeah. So when I heard that there was a man known as the Pissing Preacher, I assumed that this was some sort of like R. Kelly situation. And I was almost certain that we were going to have to do another whole ass episode about sexual abuse in the IFB, which I really didn't want to do. No kidding. Thankfully... 
thankfully, the real story is much, much, much more comical. Yes. <laughs> and again, yeah. we, we do encourage you to take a listen to last week's episode so you know who we're talking about here. But Steven Anderson is the man behind the new IFB movement. And nowadays, he's pretty well known for a variety of his wacko beliefs. But the video that originally gained a lot of attention from outsiders, the way that a lot of people found out who he was for the first time, was this rant that he made from the pulpit about the virtues of peeing standing up. (laughs) And I wasn't sure if you would believe me without proof, so I've got a clip of this for you. Okay, let's play it. He said, I will destroy him that pisseth against the wall. Now, what did, did you ever stop and think, what did God mean by that? Did he mean, well, I mean, what did he mean? Obviously, what is he talking about? All the men, right? He said, he said I'm going to kill all the men that come from Jeroboam. Because there's a difference between men and women. Men piss against the wall. Women don't. Okay? And so God said, he used that language. He used that expression. And by the way, that expression is only in the King James Bible. The New King James eliminates it. This is what the New King James says. Males. All the males. And you know, the the guys who made it, they are males. They're not men. And God said, a man is somebody who pisses against the wall. Did you know this? When I was in Germany, and you're not even going to believe this. See, why are you preaching this? Because it's in the Bible. Okay. I was in Germany, and uh, I went to use the restroom in Germany in several different people's houses. I mean, totally different people. And even in public places. They had a sign that prohibited a man from peeing standing up. I'm not kidding. I mean, you can ask, my wife is from Germany, and I was there for three and a half months. They had a sign in people's house. They had a sign in the public restroom that prohibited, and I'm not going to, you know, it was like a circle and a line through it, and it's no peeing standing up. And I asked my wife, I said, is that like, I thought it was a joke. I was like, is that a joke? kind of a crude joke she said it's not a joke she said no man in germany peace standing up that's where we're headed in this country my friend we got a bunch of pastors who pee sitting down we got a bunch of and you say oh you know you're being vile i'm not hey then god's being vile. god's the one that wrote the bible my friend we got we got pastors who pee sitting down we got the President of the United States probably pee sitting down. We got a bunch of preachers. We got a bunch of leaders who don't stand up and piss against the wall like a man. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what's wrong with America. There is just so much to unpack here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, the first thing that I, I want to ask so, does he still stand up to pee even when he has to drop a number two? I, I mean, I'm gonna. I, I would suppose yes. This guy is really into like extreme word for word biblical literalism. So, if he's gone far enough to apply this to his bathroom habits, I think he's literally. I think that he thinks he's literally going to lose his man card if he doesn't stand up every single time. So he plays sink the battleship every day. Gross! <laughs> Why does this need to go on our podcast? Uh. Uh. No, <laughs> but okay. But if he's like having to stand up and sit down and go back and forth, like how does he scroll Instagram when he's in the bathroom? I'm assuming that he doesn't have Instagram. Find TikTok or TikTok. 
I don't think he does like. I don't think he does social media other than YouTube oh, or like watches YouTube videos. Well, I don't know how he. Maybe he's got a television, like a like a wall mounted iPad or something in there. Yeah, but they would, he wouldn't be facing the same direction. I mean, you, I know. See, that's the risk is that if you're it standing, depends up, on if where you look, mount it. If you're no, if you're looking at your phone while you're peeing and you're standing up, there's a risk that you might drop your phone in the toilet. So I've heard. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I want to. I, I want to get into this because this man, Stephen. Stephen. Okay, so what's this man, Stephen Anderson? What's his claim? Is that okay? Yeah. So if the first time you listen to this clip, or if you don't understand that he's a crazy person. You might think that he's making like a metaphorical point about the value of masculinity. And this would be like very much in line with the IFB, like be a real man. That's something that you'd hear from the pulpit from Hiles or Scop in like any given sermon. But when you listen to what he's saying, it turns out that Anderson is not speaking metaphorically. He is completely, literally saying that it is unbiblical and morally wrong to not stand up to pee if you were a male and that a man who does not do so has something wrong with him like as in like yeah. sinful so what i went so what i did when i saw this i was thoroughly confused i went back and looked at my jps tanakh which is the translation if you're jewish that's the translation that you're familiar with because so what is anderson's claim that in the king james version it says pisses against the him who pisses against the wall instead of men yeah uh yeah in the ver- in what verse of what is what samuel uh 25 22 so i then went what did i do I then went to safaria.org, which is an excellent resource because they have like all of the, the Hebrew Bible there. Uh, and if you go into the translations and the meanings of, of individual words, you know, and you can translate it like word by word. So lo and behold, in the original Hebrew text, it also basically says, you know, kill everyone, you know, kill him who urinates on the wall. Mm-hmm. And the translate the translators at the Jewish Publication Society just decided to say men for whatever reason, probably because we all know the we all know what they're talking about here. It's better to just keep that clear. But if you are like a King James version biblical literalist, like it can go somewhere very strange. The first thing is that Anderson doesn't tell us which of the six instances of this phrase in the King James Bible he's referencing. So he says that he's going to quote one of these six instances of that phrase, but the quote that he uses, the the quote that he says doesn't match up perfectly with any of those six instances in the King James Bible. So he messes it up right off the bat. Yeah. But I, I think, so what his point basically is though, is that God one time described men as someone who pisses against the wall. And therefore, if you sit down to pee, you are not a man. Which is an interesting and also hilariously logically speaking. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I mean, my first point is that if he's going to be a literalist, he shouldn't be misquoting scripture. Like he does, like he misquotes whatever he tries to quote. So that's my first problem with him. However, I would not even blame this on like run of the mill biblical literalism because a biblical literalist would read this verse and what they would interpret from it is this is a real story. 
the characters were real and that God literally said that he would kill all the men, all the male heirs. That's the biblical literalist view, that it really happened and God really said it. That this story is not just a a fairy tale or a myth, that it's actually true. What Anderson is doing is not standard biblical literalism. It's something way different. I mean, I would think that the biblical literalist view would be that the crime of public urination is uh, punishable by death. (laughs) No, because not all walls are in public. Oh, that's true. Literalism just means that you literally believe that it happened. That's it. He's taken this way Mm. beyond what the Bible literally says. He won't even have a toilet in his house. What he'll have instead is he'll have uh, like a urinal or like a trough, you know, a a trough style. Yeah. Because, you know, it's got to have a wall that it goes against. You see, even he's gone beyond (laughs) that, which is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. No, like he's so if you're a biblical literalist, like all you have to actually believe is that like this is a real story. That's it. That's that's literalism. This he's taken this like his definition of literalism is a totally different thing. He's taken beyond what the Bible actually says. He's injected his opinion, and then he has tied it up in a package with "This is why God is going to destroy America." Like this guy takes it to a completely different level that is not normal. Yeah, I mean, this is like this is like the level of boomer memes on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like, can't you just imagine somebody posting a picture of like a public toilet with a no peeing standing up sign? And then it says, this is where America is headed. Real men pee standing up. Share if you agree. Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, so so he says that when he went to Germany, he saw a sign that was like a no peeing standing up sign in the yeah. public bathrooms in Germany. Like, who can we ask? Like, do we know somebody who's been to Germany who could confirm this for us? We could ask Bethany from Girl Defined. Yeah, yeah. She'd have to <laughs> go on and on and on about her heritage and what they went through before she'd answer it. Yeah. I don't think it's worth it. I mean, I'm pretty sure her great grandfather was an absolute Nazi about the rules. So, oh. Yeah, when he was the man. <laughs> Oh, that shouldn't be funny. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Oh, man. You know, if you pee against the wall, then he'll take away your house and then send you to the Dacha, uh concentration camp where you might be murdered, but you'll probably be forced into slave labor. Well, that got dark too early in this episode. It it's because he actually did that. <laughs> yeah, because he actually did that. Because he actually did that. Because terrible man. Not only are fundies terrible people, sometimes their relatives are too. So I had to, I had to check out. Completely unrelated. I know. So I had to check out this like whole no peeing standing up in Germany thing. So it turns out that it is common for public places in Germany to have signs encouraging men to sit instead of stand, but it's not law. It's no more enforceable than like a please wash your hands sign on the bathroom mirror. Yeah. And so like, you know where I think this comes from? Okay. Where? Okay, so like, what do we know? What do we know about the Germans, right? The Ger- they the Germans love their beer. They're quite good at making it, right? They, I mean, it's usually like what their beer though is usually like four and a half to five percent alcohol by volume, though. So it's not super strong. So if you're like, if you want to get drunk on, if you're German, you want to get drunk on beer, right? You're gonna have to drink a lot of beer, right? 
Right. So if you drink a lot of beer, A, you're going to need to pee a bunch. B, your aiming ability is going to be compromised. So they're just going to suggest, you know, maybe you should sit down instead of pissing all over the place. Of course, like that would never cross the mind of one of these Baptist preachers because Baptists don't drink. So that's that's a thought. That makes perfect sense. That's a that's a logical theory. But Steven Anderson is kind of known for his very strict rules on gender roles to begin with. Um, this is the same guy. He actually went after a family friend of my family because our friend was photographed wearing a pink shirt. Really? Yes. This man seems super secure in his masculinity. <laughs> yeah, super. I, this also, I feel like this sounds like a joke. I want to read you the quote from Anderson's blog about this. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Here's the quote. <clears throat> His Twitter profile shows him in a pink polka dot shirt and super skinny jeans. And what did I find on Facebook? More polka dots. I've now seen this guy in at least four different polka dot shirts. A couple sentences later, Anderson says, even a casual internet search of secular websites will tell you that polka dots are normally by women and that men in polka dots are very, scare quotes, fashion forward and run the, run the risk of looking, scare, quote, scare quotes again, flamboyant. And then one more quote from Anderson further down the article. The Bible teaches that people are an abomination when they wear gender bending clothing. <laughs> So how I, I like I want to ask though, like how come he has an issue with men in skinny jeans? Because obviously if women are wearing dresses all the time and never wearing pants, then men can wear whatever pants they want without look, looking like a woman, right? I mean that stands to reason. Uh, uh, I, th- that would be the logical thing, but apparently skinny jeans like polka dots are gender bending clothing. Gender bending clothing. Gender oh no. bending. Polka dots. And it threatens his masculinity, apparently. Yeah. I mean, this is, he has such an issue with polka dots looking girl. Like, what patterns are acceptable? What patterns are manly enough? I mean, I don't even know. Are stripes a boy pattern or a girl pattern? Like, if men can wear stripes, does that mean that women shouldn't wear stripes? Should men just wear no patterns at all? Are all patterns feminine? I'm so yeah. confused. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he wants us wearing those shirts with the flames coming up from the bottom, you know, like together with some relaxed fit jeans. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So pretty soon he's he'll be preaching at the church of Guy Fieri, <laughs> <laughs> which would make perfect sense if you consider IFB cooking. Don't insult Guy Fieri like that. <laughs> Look, man. No, but couldn't you see like Guy Fieri going like rolling up to an IFB potluck and like like showing up with his cameras being like we're here at mission hill baptist church in durham north carolina and we're here at their church potluck and we have sandra robinson she's made her special eight cheese casserole uh and <laughs> yeah and then so he like takes a piece of the casserole he's like look at all that cheese like you can just see it out of the casserole dish it's like tater tots sausage there's like a mashed potato base. Uh, there's some uh, cream of mushroom soup. There's uh, <laughs> some it's it melted cheese, French fried onions on the top. Throw some gumballs in there for good measure. 
Um, So I have to tell you really quick, uh, I was making this recipe the other day and the original recipe calls for cream of mushroom soup. And I found online a like a better, more delicious alternative. And I was really, yeah, I was really proud of myself because I didn't. uh, Heavy cream and uh, cream cheese. Heavy cream and cream cheese. Yeah. It's not more healthy. It just tastes a lot better. Anyway. Okay. I was proud of myself for not just using the cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> Interesting. I, I think it's just so weird to see cream of mushroom soup and be like, yeah, that's an ingredient. What else is not it? A, a soup? Meal. Well, it says Who soup on the can. That? No, nobody eats that. It's not meant for eating. It's meant for well, putting. I don't, I don't eat it no matter pasta. what. I don't know. That's true. Anyway, sorry, that one was my fault. Anderson is so obsessed with this polka dot shirt issue. He is obsessed with it too. Listen, dude, he had an entire sermon online about it. And this is this man, his sermons, this is not like a 30 minute deal. His sermons run as long as our podcast episodes, like an hour to an hour and a half, literally on this one man's fashion choices. So like longer than an episode of Queer Eye, about literally just this one man's shirt choices and his skinny jeans. Sadly, the sermon was taken down in one of YouTube's many attempts to get Anderson deplatformed. So we actually, I can't play it for you. Yeah. But like that's an hour and a half. That's two episodes of Queer Eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as an extremely fashionable man, I want to know what Steven Anderson's fashion tips are so that I can be absolutely sure to do the exact opposite. I have not been able to find his thoughts on men's fashion other than the things that he hates, which is skinny jeans, shorts of any kind, the color pink and polka dots. But I can tell you that just from watching videos of him, he generally favors dark gray, dark brown or olive green suits. He almost never wears a black suit. He almost always wears a white shirt when preaching, and then he wears earth-toned ties I think the new IFB has a rule about only wearing white shirts in the pulpit. That was a Jack Hiles thing, too. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that I think they have a big thing about that. Yeah. So is Steven Anderson like girl defined for men? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So should we get like a drag queen to read him? No. Or a drag king. We should get a drag king to read him. No, I know a drag king, but I am pretty sure that he would consider... Steven Anderson just beneath him as a topic of conversation, not not worth the breath to discuss him. <laughs> I don't and I don't want to make any of any queer person that I care about go through this. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't blame him. Like Steven Anderson is the type of guy to make like make me a sandwich jokes on the regular. See, I don't think Anderson really jokes. He's he's kind of. He's odd in the way that he he kind of attempts humor. He tries to be funny in sermons sometimes, but the punchline is is either uh, gays should die or that's why women shouldn't be in charge of anything. That's neither of those are. Right. I it's mean, not that like, he's not. I've never seen him actually tell a joke. I mean, to, like, I don't know. He He's he's not funny. He's like. He seems like, okay, he seems like the kind of guy that would drive like a giant lifted diesel pickup truck with giant wheels on it. So from what I've seen, actually, he drives a 15 passenger van with his church information painted on the side. But I don't know if we can 
take points off for that because you kind of do need a 15 passenger van when you have 11 kids. Yes, 11 kids? 11 at this I mean, current time. I guess, I mean, I guess the like massive numbers of kids shouldn't be at all surprising to me anymore. Yeah. Um, we talked about his views on birth control back in last week's episode. And since he also believes that women shouldn't read things other than the Bible or Christian literature and shouldn't work outside the home and shouldn't vote, in addition to regular fundy beliefs like not watching TV, not wearing pants, and not listening to anything other than Christian music, I get the impression his wife has time to have a lot of kids with all the time she saves not doing all of those things. But I want to back up real quick right there. So he believes that women shouldn't vote. I feel like I need to just let him put this in his own words. So uh, here's a clip. It says that they should be keepers at home. They should be good. And then he says they should be obedient to their own husbands. Now, how often do you hear that preached today? Well, if you come to Faithful Word, you hear it all the time. But if you, you, know, if you go somewhere else, you don't hear it so much. But that's what the Bible says. You know, you say, well, that's, old, that, that old-fashioned idea. Today we have women's rights. We've come a long way, baby. And today, you know, oh, those horrible, horrible days when women had no right. Right. Let's bring them back. Let's get back to those days. What are you so worried about? What do you think they mean when they say women's rights? You know what they mean? The right to divorce your husband is what they mean. You know what they mean? The right to rebel and disobey your husband, the right to divorce him, the right to go out and get a job and make your own money, the right to tell him what to do, the right to go vote for our leaders as if women should have any say in how our country is run when the Bible says that I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. I am quoting the Bible right now, but it's old fashioned. Why do you think that women were not allowed to vote until the 20th century? And yet if I get up and say, I don't believe women should vote because if we're in a democracy, which is ruled by the people, I don't want to be ruled over by women. And when the founder of our nation, John Adams, one of the key founders, one of the authors of the, 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 the type of government that we have in the Constitution and the bicameral legislature and all of it, the one who laid that out, his wife told him, hey, we, you need to put something in there that women should be allowed to vote. And he said, you know what? He said, I'm not going from the tyranny of England to the tyranny of women ruling over me. He said, I'd rather have England rule over me. You know, I'm paraphrasing. But, that, you know, he said something like that, okay? Look it up. He said something similar to that. <laughs> so, you know what? I think he's got a point. And before you jump down my throat on that, let me let me say <laughs> why real quick. So he doesn't want to be ruled over by women. So therefore, women shouldn't have the right to vote. Personally, I don't want to be ruled over by Christian fundamentalists. So I think that Christian fundamentalists shouldn't be allowed to vote either. <laughs> the good news is that his wife holds up his allegation that she really doesn't vote. And this goes back to household voting which I did not take the time to research, but I am pretty sure that that's been used for racist reasons in the past. But anyway, his wife says that she actually does not vote, uh, which means that the two of them just get one vote. So it's easier to cancel out all those votes with all of us liberal pants wearing blue haired women who do vote. Yeah. So I, we know this guy's a misogynist. We know this guy's a homophobe. We know that this guy's a raging anti-Semite, but there's okay. Yeah. There's something else I want to talk about um, here. 
Yes. And yeah. And so, cause we've listened to uh, a few of this guy's sermons on the air. We've played them for our listeners. So they, they're going to know what I'm talking about. They've, they'll have listened to, uh, Jack Hiles. We'll have played Jack Hiles for them. We'll have played Jack Scott for them. We'll have played Lester Roloff. And I've listened to a lot of sermons from Hiles and Scott and Roloff. And while I will admit that they all say lies and hateful things, they do possess a certain amount of gravitas. Yeah, there's a sound of authority in the way they speak. Yes. This man, Stephen Anderson has all of the charisma of a wet towel. Like the actual sound of his voice is fingernails on a blackboard. He's so whiny. He's how, how old is he? He's 40 ish. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he sounds like his preaching style sounds like he's abusing the waiter at a restaurant. Like he's complaining that his drink has too much ice in it. There was a post from his wife this week that uh, his wife is Susanna. She said that she is 41. And that would make him four, 39 or 40. Yeah. Um, I agree about his speaking voice, though. Everything he says, he could say in half the time if he cut out all the qualifying statements and the like, well, you know what I mean? And like horrible attempts at jokes. You mean all of the stuff that we say on mic that doesn't make it into the final cut of every episode? <laughs> yes, except for neither one of us. I think I don't think either one of us sounds like we're like a a permanently constipated kindergarten teacher the week after spring break Oof. when all the kids come in like hyped up on Easter candy. No, you know what he sounds like? He sounds like a brain dead M&M on helium. <laughs> yes. No, that's it. No, you know, you know that type of, I don't know how much M&M you listen to. Uh, a little bit. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of Eminem. Like I think that he's got some good songs. I but I'm just not a huge fan of the way that his voice sounds. But like lately, he's taken to this rapping style. Where he's like, nah, 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 Like that's that's what Steven Anderson sounds like. Steven Anderson sounds like yeah, like that, but also stoned because he will ramble off in like parentheticals and distractions from his main point, just like us. Yeah, but we told the story about his wife going to the secret engaged ladies meeting and what happened. Right. We told that story last week in like, what, like five minutes? Sure. He took, if you look at the original video, he took 19 minutes to tell that story. Yeah, he's like, he really rambles when he speaks. Yeah. I mean, I've used this before. I've, I know we've abused this joke over and over and over again. This guy is like the Wish.com version of Donald Trump Jr. Not Donald Ooh. Trump. Donald Trump Jr. No, that's a good one, too. Yeah. The, the way he speaks is really perplexing to me. But there are, but it might not be just for the reasons that you think. His wife, Susanna, has a blog and she has a YouTube channel. A lot of the content on her blog is what you might expect. She talks about why she chooses not to vote, why she homeschools her children, homeschooling tips and ideas, recipes, her thoughts on modesty, her anti-vax propaganda, like very much the type of thing that you would totally expect to see on an IFB or an IFB preacher's wife's blog. She's like a grown-up version of Girl Defined. If Girl Defined had actual, coherent, well-written thoughts on things... And we're actually the domestic experts that they wish they were and do not even pretend to be. No, because they pretend that they're like 17, but they're like 30. Right. The, the, the strange thing is, 
first, the, the writing style that Susanna has and the way that she speaks in her YouTube videos really stuck out to me. Hmm. Steven Anderson met her when she was a 20-year-old college student in Germany. He was there on a missions trip. And he met her and tried to witness to her, but she didn't get saved. But he convinced her to come to America to visit him. So he was 19 and she was 20. And she was in America for a little over two weeks. While she was here, she got saved. And then they decided to elope after two weeks together. English is actually her third language because she grew up speaking both Hungarian and German. And she learned English later in life. And her writing is like technically perfect. Her spoken English is very, very good. She is infinitely better spoken and more eloquent than her husband. It's just so completely clear to me that this is a woman with a very high IQ. She's German? Yes, she grew up in Germany. So uh, apparently the trip where he met his wife was also the same trip where he got all up in arms about the peeing, standing up situation. And she believes that women should be baby factories who shouldn't vote and that gay people should be killed and that Jewish people worship at the synagogue of Satan. Apparently she did not believe any of this until she met Stephen. And that paints a pretty sad picture to me because she was like barely 20 when she met him and then he convinced her to come visit him. And then when he got her to America where she was the only, like she was by herself traveling solo then he talked her into getting saved, and then he impressed all these religious beliefs on her. And then two weeks later, she was ready to give up. She was like a year from being done with college, and she was really re- ready to give up her college education, give up the apartment she had by herself, give up everything and move around the world to be with him and just be a parrot for all of his teaching. Yeah, I don't know, dude. This whole thing seems super sus, right? Like, she okay, so she's German, and she believes all of these traditional western values and she hates gays and jews and her husband is definitely engaged in holocaust denial where there's smoke there's fire right i i see where you're yeah you see where i'm going with this like i mean i'm looking at it like you know pokemon evolutions like i made you watch pokemon yeah Yeah, you know you know how pokemon i feel like if uh if uh bethany from girl defined gets enough experience points then she'll evolve into Susanna anderson (laughs) <laughs> I yeah I can see I see something slightly yeah. different but I can see why you would think that yeah no personally I'm surprised that they even allow her back in the country like the like and this is true like if you go to Germany and say a bunch of synagogue of Satan shit about Jews they will arrest you and throw you in jail they do not play that shit. So, well hold your horses on that because we are going to get into who is and is not allowed or not allowed in certain countries <laughs> That's going to come up in a minute. I think Susanna is currently allowed in Germany. I do not think her husband is. We'll get there. Stephen did mention the reason I'm having a different perspective on this than you are is he mentioned in a blog post that their first fight was because she didn't understand about gay people being bad because she had always been taught that it was okay. And he just had to, like, teach her better. Mm. So I tend to lead towards the idea that she wasn't always bigoted, that she met him really young. And he was not a bad looking guy at the time. If you look, you can see pictures of him at 19. He was a pretty good looking guy. I think being in another country, the sense of adventure and then like the high pressure tactics that people can put on you to get saved. 
I think he brainwashed and misled her because a lot of what he talks about when he talks about her is how he had to educate her on all of these things because she was Mm. raised believing these liberal values, but I had to teach her that it was wrong. So I think he brainwashed her. That's just, this is just my, what I see. Okay. The other thing I wanted to say um, about her blog though, it's not just coherent. It's extremely well written. For as wrong as it, some of the opinions are, it's some of the best written complete bullshit I've ever seen. And and not only is her grammar really fantastic for someone whose first language is in English, but she has some views that are actually totally reasonable. Okay, but do you, like, do you know Germans? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, because all, all of the Germans that I know, right, like uh, uh, people born in Germany, English is their second language. They speak English with an accent, but their grammar is always impeccable. Is their grammar better than the average American? Yes. Okay, so this is typical then, like what her, because her grammar, I think is better. I think she writes better than the average American person. Oh, but that's not hard. That's true. <laughs> but what I'm, what I really, what I'm trying to say, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make though, is the stark difference between her and her husband. It's not just that it's not her grammar the way the way she writes isn't the point i'm trying to make she is honestly and truly an eloquent writer and she really makes her husband look bad like she makes him sound like even more of a fourth grader yeah okay but that's how how germans are like their culture is very methodical that makes sense my overarching point though is that she's smarter than her husband i don't doubt it to put it in plain language like she's smart and it makes him look dumb by comparison and I think he's a big hypocrite for putting her down when she is clearly way brighter than he is. I feel like that's all of Christian fundamentalism, though. Like, you can have really smart women and then they're nothing compared to their husbands, even that's, though they're way smarter. Yeah, that's fair, though. I think in the old IFB, um, women tend to play dumb. So I was taught this concept that you should act stupid to make your husband look smarter uh, mm. and that you should very much play blonde or play dumb or play child, play like you're a child mentally to make your husband look smarter, which is just gross in a million and 10 ways. That seems very annoying. Yeah. I pretty much gagged saying that, <laughs> but uh, Susanna does not seem to have that concept. So I think this is a, a, a little bit different. Um, because she is clearly really bright. My other point is that some of her posts are not crazy, which is a just kind of unique and interesting to me. That like there are things that she is completely on the level about. For example, she's very pro breastfeeding and she is very anti women having to feed their babies with a blanket over their heads. Like she's straight up like if you don't like it, don't look. You wouldn't want to eat with your head under a tablecloth and neither does my baby. Huh. Which is like a totally modern, correct thing to think, you know, like like women's sure. women's bodies are are not inherently sexual, and like babies don't need to eat with a with a blanket over their head unless that's what makes the mother comfortable. And she's like completely on about that, like so smart about it. So it's it's just mind blowing to me that like she's got some things so right and some things so wrong. It's weird. She feeds the entire family, all 11 children, an all-organic, actually healthy diet. 
and she makes most of their bread at home. She actually feeds her children. Real food. Real food. Good food. She's posted on her website about how she gets food from local farms, like how she manages cooking for so many people, how to negotiate with a local farm owner to get fresh milk delivered once a week if that's what you want. Like the Duggars get a lot of crap for feeding their kids like tons of processed food and tater tot casserole. But Susanna manages to homeschool and actually cook and actually feed her kids healthy food. They're not malnourished. Interesting. So, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm I'm not trying to make it out like she's somehow okay or that her crappy views are excusable because she's smart and because she actually cares for her children as much as we can see from the outside. That's not the point I'm trying to make at all. My point is that Stephen is an idiot and I don't know how he's brainwashed this woman to go along with his bullshit. And I wish he hadn't because I could see her being pretty cool if it weren't for him. Like, I just think she'd be rad if she had not been radicalized by this man. Hmm. And I find it um, really hypocritical and frustrating that they discourage education for women, even though she's clearly well-educated and she uses her education to benefit her in her life that she's chosen, even though it's a cruddy life. Right. Okay, but there's plenty of people who are well-spoken and can say lots of smart things on one subject that makes sense. But then they're absolute monsters when it comes to other topics. Yeah, I just I don't see them being married to people who are just like full of just drivel. Right. <laughs> Very often. Predictably, um, Steven Anderson is well known for being a monster on a lot of topics. I don't want to play a clip of him talking about LGBT people because one, we'd have to bleep his language because he will only refer to people as certain slurs. But also, we have we have listeners that I'd like to protect. Like, nobody needs to actually hear what he has to say. We know it's in the sermon. We know it's in there. But what the reason I bring it up is that it's actually not the anti-Semitism. It's the anti-gay hate speech that has gotten him banned from 33 countries and counting. So I, I looked it up, actually, and he is banned from every English-speaking country in the developed world except for the United States. Hmm. So he is not allowed in Canada, UK, Ireland, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Jamaica, the whole of the European Union. And he's banned from like half of Africa, which sucks for him because I know that these pastors love to go on vacation to Africa and say it's a missions trip. And then, like, you know, take malaria pills so they get weird-ass dreams and think that God's talking to them. <laughs> so You know that's true, though. They're all oh, like, no, I, had, I know that's true. I had visions that God spoke to me when I was in Africa. No, you were taking malaria pills that make you see weird shit when you're sleeping. That's what happened, dude. I mean, several of these countries are places <laughs> that he is. You like that one, huh? Yeah, it's true, though. No, I, I'm P. with you. I, I'm with you. I just find it funny when you laugh at your own jokes. Well, my jokes are funny. Why can't I laugh at them? I didn't say you shouldn't. I just think it's funny when you Jimmy do. Fallon does it. <laughs> so some of these countries that he's banned from, though, some of these are places that he has sent new IFB pastors to plant churches. So then he will like try to go visit these pastors that he has sent out and then he'll go try to visit them, and then he'll get turned away at the border. That's most of these countries that he's banned from. That's kind of why. 
so Anderson and his follow. I, I just looked this up. Anderson and his followers. So anyone who is new IFB is banned from South Africa. Uh, and I don't f-ing blame them one bit for that one. It seems like a real good idea for South Africa to just straight up ban somebody who is known for causing racial turmoil and known for anti-gay sentiments. I wish we could ban him from here. I know. That'd be great. But no, I think that's really smart of South Africa because they've been through enough when it comes to those topics. It seems like a great idea just to keep that out. Yeah. Um, There have been recent calls. So uh, Anderson was deplatformed on YouTube on his main account in September of 2020. He does have two or three or 12 backup accounts. Uh, I have found two or three of them preparing this episode. Uh, He will also have church members set up backup account, backup YouTube accounts for him. And then like he's got some kind of hard drive where he can re-upload all of his videos very quickly when one of them gets taken down. His main account did get deplatformed, but it hasn't gotten him off off of YouTube yet. Yeah, but if you keep re-uploading other people's content or keep re-uploading this, like YouTube will eventually ban you permanently. Right. So well, he's banned, per- like his IP address is is, ban- is banned permanently, but he's got church members who will set up more and more alternate accounts for him and he keeps finding ways to get around it. So Weirdos. they'll eventually figure out a way to get him completely deplatformed, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, he does still have access to Twitter at this point. He hasn't been deplatformed there yet. Okay, I looked up the uh, Faithful Word Baptist Church Twitter account, and it has zero followers, and it is following zero people, and it has tweeted one time ever, and then it liked its own tweet. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, It looks like Anderson has a couple of personal Twitter accounts. The biggest one I saw, um, actually, I'm not going to read his handle on air because he doesn't deserve publicity, but it has about 4,000 followers. Um. I think he does the same thing. So his, I, I know he has at least two or three Facebook accounts that I found during research. I think he does the same thing. That's his like social media strategy. He has like many, many sock accounts because he gets shut down and banned so often that he's got to have like all these extra accounts to just like pick up where he started. Yeah. I mean, as, as people like people who are on Twitter and they get banned all the time, that's what they do. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that he hasn't migrated to Gab or Parler. I think there's one definitive reason why he hasn't. Really? Yeah, I think it's the same reason he hasn't moved off YouTube, even though they're trying to get rid of him. Okay, so what's that? I think that Anderson's church, his platform, and his notoriety all depend on new people discovering him. Because people whose church is just not crazy enough for them find him. They become obsessed. They want to listen to his sermons for hours a day. They get very deep into his teachings very quickly. And there needs to be a lot of consumable content for them to find very quickly. I truly believe that Anderson is a cult leader. And I want to back that up with facts. But as you said earlier, he's not charming. He's not charismatic. He's not pleasant to listen to. And I think that he's not going to attract that fresh blood that he constantly needs to keep his church full. He's not going to attract the attention that he clearly needs without a rabbit hole full of content to draw people in, whether they're new followers or new haters. So it's more about getting attention than anything else, whether it's good or bad. You know, any attention is good attention. 
that's my theory about this guy. I think for him, any attention snowballs into more attention. Because clearly most people that encounter this kind of trash are just not going to be convinced by it. Right. Even lots of IFB people who are all about Hiles and even all about Scop are going to see this and go, no, that's not for me. But in order to reach that tiny percentage of people who are going to be like, yeah, this is my jam, Anderson has to be accessible to a lot of people. Right. Because most of their lives, these people have been told like the most strict, the most upright, like the most rigid. That's the best way that you can be. That's what you should aspire to. So they see the guy that's like extreme, even for them. They're thinking, you know, hmm, maybe I should see what this guy is all about. Right. And a lot of those IFB people who are like, I should see what this guy is about. A lot of them are going to eventually be like, no, this isn't for me. I think a lot of IFB people are turned off by his use of language. It's not like he's dropping F-bombs in the pulpit or anything, but he uses a lot of slurs, a a lot of like more mild cuss words. Words like whore are really common. He will say crap from the pulpit, which I understand crap is not a curse word in real life, but in the IFB, it very much is. So IFB members who maybe don't want to be as strict they're not going to be into this. But like, if you're an IFB member who's easily offended, you're also not going to be into this. But Mm -hmm. if you want like something as strict as possible and as abrasive as possible, because you know, you've really leaned into the idea of separating yourself and distinguishing yourself from other people and really hating outsiders. This is the cult for you. Right. There is a group that this will very much appeal to. And I think that the, that Anderson, positions himself on purpose to get the most eyes on his content so that he will find that small group of people that are really going to be into this. So uh, I got to let my cat in because (laughs) we heard him in the background earlier. We heard him in the background of a a previous episode and people on the Facebook group were like, is your cat okay? So uh, I'm going to let him in. And then can we talk about uh, whether or not this guy is a cult leader? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, um, and we'll let's go take up the offering. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one, where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. 
You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. (laughs) The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back. We are back. We are back from our break. Uh, Sadie, if you want to go ahead, because we were going to talk about whether or not this guy is a cult leader. Yeah, whether or not is Steven Anderson a cult leader? Right. I mean, you're not going to have to do a lot to convince me that he is, but go for it. (laughs) Well, we all know that this guy has bite model written all over him. But he's associated with the IFB. So that should not be a surprise to anybody involved here. There was recently a situation at his church, though, that goes to certain levels that are way beyond the control and the manipulation that most IFB pastors display. Okay, so what happened? So last summer, summer 2020, Faithful Word Baptist Church had an extreme scandal. At the time, they were running about 300 people. And like I said before, this church fluctuates a lot. But they were on a real high as far as attendance goes. A lot of the church teenagers had been in a group chat, and over 500 pages of messages got leaked from this group chat. Oh, God. Yeah, as well as quite a few... Instagram messages, private Facebook messages, like this huge data dump happened. Mm. Predictably, most of these messages were of a sexual nature. A lot of the teenage boys in the church, at least, uh, including at least two of Anderson's sons, talking in depth about what they want to do to the teenage girls in the church. Okay. I'm, I mean, like, so they're teenage boys, so it's not going to be pretty. No. But I want to say, so this seems maybe just more embarrassing and maybe a teachable moment than anything else if I'm being optimistic. Yeah, you Uh. can stop being optimistic because these girls are being added to the group without consent. And then they're having people speak to them that way without consenting to it. And then they're saying, please stop talking about me that way. I don't. I don't want to engage in this kind of sexual conversation trying to leave the group and they'll be added back to the group and then people will continue to speak to them that way without consent. So more than anything else, this is a consent problem. And these are teenagers, so I feel a little bit weird about going into super detail. But I will generally say that there are very violent things that they're fantasizing about in this chat, talking about tying people up, different BDSM activities that they wanted to do to like these teenage girls in the church. And some of these young men are 16, 17, 18. And they're talking about doing this to teenage girls as young as 13 or 14. Oh, that's not great. It's not. Like Mm. most of this isn't illegal, but none of it is good. And there's a lot of talk about roofies talking about, yeah, talking about like bringing quote unquote hookers to church. Like, if we witness to them, then it's okay. Like, that kind of talk going on. Yikes. Yeah, this is a, a f***ing mess. It's, it's, it's messed up. Oh, yeah. And obviously, the parents in the church are not happy at all with their kids talking about sex, period. Because these kids are supposed to be waiting until marriage. These kids are supposed to be very chaste. But it's not just that they're talking about sex. It's it's violent themes. It's stuff that you would not want your 14-year-old exposed to. Even if you're raising a kid in a sex-positive environment, this is not age-appropriate. And, of course, 
this chat went on long enough that one of Anderson's sons who was involved turned 18 and, and he was continued, still yeah. engaging mm-hmm. with young teenagers in this chat. So like, you know, he's 18 and there's people in the chat that are 13 and 14. So there becomes a legal issue as well. Uh. Yeah, it's 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 not good. That's skeezy. That's really skeezy. I don't like that at all. I don't either. No. So to those of us on the outside, the primary issue is that this was brought to Anderson's attention. And under Arizona law, he is a mandatory reporter. And of course, he didn't report this to the police or to CPS or to anybody else who could help. No, of course he wouldn't. Right. But to the Faithful Word Baptist Church members, that wasn't their problem. That's more like the outsider's problem is that he didn't report. But to the church members, there were worse issues. Because at the time that this happened, before his YouTube channel was taken down, Anderson was in the habit, his his custom was to post every sermon on his YouTube channel. But when Anderson brought this issue before his church, the issue of the group chat, he preached a sermon so violent and so hateful that he would not uh, even put it on his YouTube. Ooh. And this is the guy, like, he says some really f***ed up shit on his YouTube. I know he has. I've had to watch a bunch of it. Oh, so I'm, I'm trying to imagine what he would say that would be so bad that he couldn't. Ugh. So yeah. who, who's so who's he targeting with this stuff? Who's he, who's the target of his vitriol? So the target was every other parent of teenagers who had been in the group chat other than his kids and the teenagers who were in the group chat other than his kids and the church members who were committing the sin of gossip by talking about it. Okay, this is something that I want to talk about right here, because to me, it feels like the sin of gossip uh, is the ultimate IFB get out of jail free card if you're a pastor because you can literally just accuse anybody of the sin of gossip if they're trying to call you on your bullshit. Like if, if somebody's like, this guy's being a total head, you can be like, that's the sin of gossip. I didn't do any, like, <laughs> it doesn't even matter whether or not I did that stuff because you shouldn't be talking like that's, that's the, it's like the ultimate get out of jail free card. It's just straight Darvo. That's pretty much Darvo the move. size of it. It's not gossip when the pastor talks about somebody, but if it was his kids and you talk about it, that's gossip. And, and let's, let's be real. We've seen this at First Baptist Church of Hammond more than once. And if you listen to the stories of other people who were abused within the IFB, this is a theme. This is not unusual in those stories, uh, especially when you get into uh, stories of young women and girls in the IFB who are abused by like youth pastors or assistant pastors in the church. This thing about the sin of gossip is something that you will hear almost every single story. Yeah. But here's the cult leader part. Anderson kicked out about a dozen families over this, just straight up told them not to come back to church. Like, that's the part that's more culty than anything else to me. Like, this church is not a community of people who share beliefs. This church is a dictatorship run by a small, petty little man who will throw a tantrum if things don't go his way. And his remaining members will stand for someone who treats them like that and who treats other members as disposable. Of course, like if he kicks them out, though, like he can't take their money anymore. I don't think he gets his money from church members. You don't? 
I don't. You, uh, he doesn't get his money from tithing. Where does his money come from if it's not coming from tithing? I'm, I'm sure the church makes some money from tithes. But logically, the church doesn't own their own building. They rent a pretty significantly sized storefront. So money is going to that every month. The Andersons do live in a fairly modest house, but according to Susanna's blog, they spend about $2,000 a month on food, which makes sense for a family that size. I just don't see the math adding up on an IFB preacher's salary. Then where, where is their income coming from? We know that Susanna has at least three lines of income. Uh, she runs a modest swimwear company. She has bread baking courses and other YouTube videos. And she sells a homeschool curriculum plan. Hmm. And if, okay, if they're spending $25,000 on food alone every year, you're going to, they're going to need a lot of money to make that work though. Yeah. And I don't think it's likely that Susanna is making that kind of money from these endeavors. There are some PayPal handles and some donation links that you'll see on different Anderson videos and different websites that he runs. Uh, People have done some cursory investigation into those while looking into the church scandal. Uh, As far as anyone has found out so far, there are a lot of different PayPal handles and like donation links, and those just go to Anderson. They don't go to the church. People haven't gotten incredibly far into that investigation yet, but but people have been able to find out that it it sure looks like that money just goes in his pocket. So you're saying that he's basically just been crowdfunding his church and his like life. I'm saying that something is weird here and I don't know what it is because I don't have time to get into this guy's finances. He and his wife run enough websites that I have actually lost count. There's like a dozen, maybe more. He runs a church like a dictator, and that's very clear. And these donation accounts, it's not clear whether they benefit him or benefit the ministry. And I think that if they benefited the ministry, it would be so easy to make that transparent that that really makes me feel like there's something sketchy going on here. But, okay, but this is what I If he's the pastor, he bas- he is the church, basically, right? Is, is Is there a difference between these two things? Oh, No, that is not the way that a typical independent Baptist church or any independent church works. Like That's not normal at all. Usually independent churches file when they when they start, they file for 501c3 nonprofit business status with the IRS and the proprietorship of that corporation, the 501c3 corporation. Uh, the it belongs to the church itself. So we're kind of getting into corporate personhood, which is a little bit weird. Um, but basically the church is a corporation and the governing body of that corporation is a board of members. Sometimes it is the membership at large in a democratic voting system. More usually it is a board of directors. Usually that's the deacons. It could also be like deacons and deacons' wives or deacons and other longtime members. But either way, the the correct way to set this up is that the church is a corporation and there's a governing board of the corporation. And then the corporation of the church hires the pastor as an employee of the 501c3 organization and pays him a salary. Just like the CEO of a company 
is an employee of that company unless the CEO also owns the company. Okay, then how was Jack Hiles able to use church money to buy his mistress fur coats? That's why this is a problem that he was able to do that. See, that's why I'm confused here is because if this guy, like, if you have Hiles, we don't know whether Hiles or uh, whether Hiles or the church owns Hiles Publications and all of this mm-hmm. stuff is very ambiguous. And it seems like if you're the pastor of one of these uh, Baptist church, these uh, first Baptist or independent Baptist churches, and it's, you know, you're doing well, it just basically the church budget becomes your slush fund. See, that is extremely inappropriate and that is not how it's supposed to be. Yeah, but is that how it works? Not usually. Not in a normal IFB church. If they're doing things right. If they're doing things right, like not in any church that I've – so I'll, I'm going to tell you in a second about how churches that I've been in handled this. So about Jack Hiles, though, he would have had to use unaccounted for personal money to buy those fur coats. So when when Hiles went to these different churches around the country, people gave him offerings. Um, when he visited a church, they would give him a suit and shoes or maybe a gun belt or whatever – and then they would also pay him a speaker fee, and then they would also take up offerings on his behalf. And those gifts were not gifts to First Baptist Church of Hammond. Those are gifts for Jack Hiles personally. And hmm. then he claimed that he used that money to help people, but what he probably actually used it for was mistresses. <laughs> yeah. So see, to me, this feels like a distinction without a difference. Like, so if you're the one, you know, doing the books or whoever is doing the books, like if if that's you if you're the pastor who's running everything and you're also the one doing the books and you can basically crowdfund your whole life and use headline grabbing like hate mongering sermons as free advertisement to grift money from nut jobs see in a normal church this would not happen there would be a difference in a so in a normal ifb church the pastor would never be the per- the main person doing the books it would maybe be the pastor and somebody else um, like the pastor and a church secretary or the pastor and the head of the deacon board. Right, just to keep everything above board. Above board, yes. <laughs> like normal people with, with sanity. Um, in IFB churches that I've been involved in, the bookkeeping is public information. And if you are on the membership role of the church, you can request the records and they will they will just give them to you. Uh, the church would vote on all financial matters, uh, even small things. Uh, and the church would vote to pass a budget at an agreed upon interval. Some churches do monthly, some churches do six months, some churches do a year. But money and checks would never be handled by one person alone. And there would be two people present and accounting for each other, two unrelated non-family people accounting for each other when counting the offering, when doing bookkeeping in any financial matter. But it turns out... (laughs) Faithful Word Baptist Church is not set up this way. It is not set up where the church is a corporation and Anderson is an employee. Faithful Word Baptist is set up with Anderson as the proprietor. So in his case, he is the church. And this is not normal and it's not okay. Not only does he have the authority to dictate who can and cannot come to his church, which in a normal congregation would be a matter of a vote between all adult church members, he also has the authority to do whatever the f- he wants to do with the finances without repercussions. 
So I don't know if this means anything or not. I did see I downloaded some of these group chats, which I found I found a um a dump from some of these group chats. I did see one of Anderson's sons in the group chat saying that he wanted to hire a sex worker with church funds. I don't know. Maybe it was a joke, but who knows at this point? Yeah. I mean, honestly, though, the people I feel like the people who he kicked out got lucky. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. May, I mean, <laughs> maybe the whole incident was like just shocking enough for a few of them to get out like for good. You know, they there are some people who have gone public because of this and look like they could be on a path that could lead them out of the NIFB forever. So I do hope that those people get out. And that's the other thing that I wanted to bring up. As far as calling him a cult leader, there is no new IFB without Anderson. At this time, all new IFB churches are directly connected to him. It's still not a denomination proper because there is no formal command structure or formal incorporation as a group. But all new IFB pastors are either sent personally by him or otherwise directly connected to him and to Faithful Word Baptist. So independent is really just a day these churches aren't actually independent. They are financially independent of each other, and there's no formal structure. But just like the old IFB, they are dependent on each other's approval. They are dependent on each other's opinions. And Anderson can't formally command these other pastors what to do. He doesn't pay them. He doesn't own their buildings. He has no formal power over them. But on the other hand, if he tells them to go start a church in a certain city, they do it. And his preaching influences what everyone who is a part of the new IFB believes. Yeah. No, but this sort of tactic where it's like just all sorts, just hate with no oversight, though, that seems like a recipe for like exporting extremism. That's the thing. In, in independent churches, there's no stopgap. There's no firebreak for radicalization. If you're in the process of becoming radicalized, there's no one to stop you, no one to step in and caution you. Just vague figures on the internet like Steven Anderson to drive you further into extremism. Yeah. I don't know. Did you hear about the recent church bombing in El Monte, California? No. Wait, when was this? January 21. Wait, so recent, like a month ago? Yeah. Wow. About two months by the time this airs, but yeah. Yeah. Ooh. No, yeah, I did, so I I did not this, hear about this at all. I saw it on the news the next morning. So the headline was something like uh, anti-gay church near L.A. bombed. And my first thought was like, oh, bet that's an IFB. So I looked it up real quick and it yeah, was. So somebody bombed a new IFB church. Yep. Uh, the pastor is really close to Stephen Anderson. Um, so remember me talking about the Make America Straight Again conference, the one at a new IFB church in Orlando on the three-year anniversary of the Pulse shooting? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that in the last episode. But the pastor of the church in LA that got bombed was also a featured speaker at that conference alongside Anderson. And what's interesting about this church bombing recently is there was supposed to be a, like a LGBT counter-protest outside the church the next day. But the bombing happened on a Saturday night, so the protest got called off, and apparently they don't have any leads so far on who might have been responsible for the bombing. The, was anybody hurt? Nobody was hurt. Nobody okay. was there. Good. That's wild, yeah. though. That's really wild. Yeah, and the FBI got called in, but and and the FBI has said that we they do not have any reason to believe that it was the same 
group of people who were going to protest outside the church the next day. They said that they, they have no leads relating to that. They have no reason to think it's those people. But other than that, they don't know who it was. And there's not been any new information released. Oh, I mean, these people are hateful, aren't they? Yeah, these people are messed up. <laughs> and while I cannot in good conscience condone violence, I can at the very least bring your attention to the existence of a video in, in which Steven Anderson it is like he has a like, shall we say, a adversarial interaction with the Border Patrol and he gets hit with a taser. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are a member of the LGBT community and you hate Steven Anderson with all of your heart and you are mad about him advocating for your persecution and murder. Um, and maybe you are willing to excuse a little bit of police brutality and excessive and unnecessary force. I would personally recommend that you watch that video. I stand against police brutality. We all stand I do against not police brutality. I will say that it is satisfying as hell to hear a sexist, homophobic, bigoted man in severe pain. You know, for a man who is so obsessed with being a man, he sure does scream like a little girl. <laughs> it was the little like like whimpery bits that just he just, he he's like, I will not open my window, and then they just like, what do you think they're gonna do? They smashed his window and tased him. Yeah, yeah, they, that's what they did. Okay, but you know, you like you know though, right? That when people get tased, they usually piss themselves, right? Yeah, which like makes it worse because water conducts electricity. Yeah. So whenever Steven is sitting in the driver's seat of that car again, he's going to be sitting in the spot where he peed. And no matter m how much cleaning oh. you get done in your car, you can never fully get rid of it. I mean, also, he was sitting in the driver's seat when it happened and not standing up like a man. Sadie, are you telling me that Steven Anderson, of all people, peed sitting down? <laughs> I'm saying that it's a, a pretty strong possibility. You mean a pissability. A strong pissability. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like those odds either way. Uh, what does what does worry me and like. Yeah, in all seriousness. The odds that I don't like. What? I said in all seriousness. In all seriousness. The odds that I don't like. <sighs> it's the fact that we don't know how big this new IFB thing is going to get. Yeah. Okay, so I want to, uh, if if you'll give me license to, uh, I really want to uh, go into something that you brought up last episode, and I hope that you'll humor me maybe as I really try to dig into this thing because I really want to get to the core of something. Okay, let's let's go for that. Yeah. So last episode, you brought up the idea that the new IFB could possibly grow while the old IFB is going to wither and die. Yeah, it's 100% just my opinion and my prediction, but from what I saw before I got out, I think up to half of IFB people could end up in new IFB churches as the IFB movement continues to fizzle out and a lot of IFB churches decline and eventually close. Yeah. And so this episode, we talked about how Steven Anderson is not a charismatic, likable or even like remotely palatable guy by any means. No, um, I think I compared him to Trump in the first episode. Because the same people who say things about Trump like 
Yeah, he's rough around the edges, but I like him because he's not polished. I like him because he's not a politician. I like him because he knows how to talk to regular people. I think these are the same people who would say about Anderson, like, yeah, his language is rough, but I like him because he's real. I like him because he doesn't talk like a fancy preacher. I like him because he tells it like it is. Yeah. So what, I think uh, it's the same people. Right. So we, we talked about Jack Howells. We talked about Lester Roloff. We really dug deep you know we, we you know to try to give them an origin story but this episode i guess we didn't really do that we didn't talk about i mean we talked about what he did at house anderson we, we weren't talking about like oh this is who he was growing up um this is uh what his real motivations are and f- there's two reasons why we didn't do that and the first is that a the information is really not readily available and the second is that even if it was like, why would we care? You know what I'm saying? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, by this, I mean, so Stephen Anderson was a dime a dozen preacher boy at Hiles Anderson College. There was nothing interesting, nothing remarkable about him. There was nothing to set him apart from the rest, really, just that he was happy to take things a step further than everybody else was. Is that there was nothing like standing in his way from being successful, if, if you know what I mean, like, because when you're IFB, you can basically go somewhere, start a church, say whatever the hell you want because, you know, there's no governing body. I mean, you drew the comparison to Trump. Like the thing with Trump is that he had a reality show that was built around the persona of him being good at business. And so people thought, oh, well, this guy's good at business. But Steven Anderson is just some fucking guy. And yeah, yeah, he's just some guy with a YouTube channel. Yeah. And so that's the scary thing about like the scary thing to me is so we live in an age of democratization of media of information so any joe schmo can put up whatever they want on the internet even if they're a whiny voice nutcase who wants to bitch about people wearing pink shirts and polka dots like anybody can see it anybody can decide if they want to support it now this in and of itself isn't that scary but what's scary to me is that like a month ago or so like maybe we talked about how easy it is, especially in the age of social media, the way, you know, it's easy to interact with people on Twitter and on the internet and, you know, pick a point of view, take an ideology, run with it as far as it will go until you reach the extreme end and then just set up camp there. Because like intellectually speaking, that's like the easiest move that you can make. You can just be like, I believe this ideology. This is what I believe. These are the rules, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to follow this. If it's with this ideology, it's right. If it's against it, it's wrong. I will not try to resolve any cognitive dissonance. But what like that's what this guy has essentially done. He's taken the ideas of the IFB, which are extreme as they like as as they exist and he's taken them, run with them as far as they will go, set up camp there. And now he's just waiting for people to see him like out there, like essentially at the logical conclusion of IFB ideology. And he's just waiting for them to follow him. And anybody can do this. And so like with the old generation of IFBs, you know, and extreme conservatives, they're getting old, they're dying out, you know, and the ones doing things in a certain traditional way you know that's who's dying out and the younger people are going to be the ones who want to make their own path and they're going to be looking to make a mark and this guy is really setting up a blueprint for how that is done and that is truly terrifying 
Yeah. Because this is, I think maybe this is just a kind of a Petri dish example of how extremism gets followers. Like why extremism looks attractive to people. I first encountered Steven Anderson and the new IFB shortly after I left the IFB movement myself. So I was kind of in that phase where I really enjoyed making fun of his more extreme views. Um, We poked fun at some of those earlier in this episode. Yeah. And I think he is. He's really popular among those of us who have gotten out for that reason, because he just gives us like a giant, very broad target to get a good laugh at his ridiculousness. But the more I look into him, the less funny it is. Because while some of his views are just laughable, he is gaining traction. And I am afraid that he might be able to build the next big thing. Like he may really become the next big cult leader or he might influence the next big cult leader. We have stories. We have hundreds of credible, provable, personal stories of people who have come out of the IFB. Just recently, we were in the Facebook group and one of our listeners posted about her own story that had so many similarities to mine. And you said something about how every story I tell you eventually gets corroborated by at least one more person. Yeah. Like everything that I claim will eventually get backed up by someone else who saw what I saw or experienced what I experienced. And what really scares me is that we don't have a lot of stories yet about people coming out of the new IFB because it's too recent. The new IFB really started in 2005, and it didn't get that much traction for the first, like, five years. Didn't really start picking up until 2009 to 2011. So the children that had been born into the new IFB are just now getting close to the age that I was when I left the IFB. We don't have any kind of understanding yet about how this can hurt people who were raised in it. We don't have access to inside stories from people who left And what that means to me is that we don't know yet how dangerous this group really is. Yeah. And I know I keep coming back to this. There's this one thing I keep harping on. But do you want to know what the most f***ed up thing is? What's that? This guy is f***ing grating to listen to. Like, but people still want to join his cult. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. which means that, like, people like his messaging I mean, you like you remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I compared the IFB to poison Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this guy is like poisoned rancid milk. And somebody's drinking the rancid milk anyway because they want the poison. Ugh. That's what I'm that's what it's like. I mean, that's that's nasty, but that's a great analogy. This guy, he is not appealing. He's not suave. He's not charming. If you're listening to him, it's because you're actively making a choice to hear racism, to hear sexism, to hear hate speech and anti-Semitism and everything else that he spews. And that the the fact that people would make the choice to hear those things is truly scary. Yeah, that's I mean, that's literally all it is. It's pure ugliness. It's not dressed up. It's not disguised. It's not apologized for. Ugh, scary. Yeah. I mean, I usually like to make a joke or something like end on a joke, but f- Dude, I don't even know. I mean, this guy, one way of looking at it, he kind of is a joke, right? Like, yeah. He loses his ever loving over the dye in a piece of fabric because that dye is pink or in dot shape. 
He's like the laziest anti-Semite ever. He just takes other people's anti-Semitic theories and rehashes them and adds some Bible verses taken way out of context. He doesn't even come up with his own. He's just lazy ass, like, puts together other people's nasty theories. Yeah, but that's all anti-Semitism is, is other people's rehashed conspiracy theories. I see. I just think that's lazy. Yeah, but they're all lazy. It's all okay, just the same shit, like photocopy and then change a word. That's all it is. Fair enough, but you know he, I think I think he's you know yeah dumb and lazy. He's obsessed with how people pee and where people pee and everything else. Like this should be funny. It would be really great if this guy was funny. But when you realize what he's really doing and what he might have the capacity to turn into, it's suddenly a lot less funny. Yeah. No, it's it's funny until it's not. And then when it's not, it's really not. Yeah. I don't know. Like, keep your eyes on this guy. I think, uh, well, that was rough. I think I'm going to go listen to him get tased one more time. And then I'm going to go, like, watch Seinfeld or something. Yeah. Palette cleanser. Yeah, yeah, time for a palate cleanser. Ugh, okay, well. Hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, this has been the Leaving Eden podcast. Uh, you can, uh, if you like this show, if you, uh, if you want to follow this show, we are on Facebook, Instagram, at Leaving Eden Podcast. We are on Twitter, at Leaving Eden Pod. If you've got questions for us, send us an email at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can join our Patreon where we have extended uh, episodes. That is going to be Patreon, patreon.com slash Leaving Eden Podcast. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is called Eden Exodus. We have people, uh, we have great conversations in there uh, almost every single day. And uh, yeah, there's anything else that I am forgetting. Uh, recommend our show to your family, your friends, your coworkers, your mortal enemies. Uh, Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music and on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie and also on Clubhouse at Hell Yeah Sadie and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. Yeah, and I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Uh, and I hope that you guys have a better day than I did after talking about Steven Anderson all day because it was terrible. Uh, if you like the song that's playing right now, uh, you can go and download that song. You can stream that song, and all the proceeds from that are going to uh, go and uh, help our podcast. Uh, you can find that on my Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you stream music from. You can find that on whatever page that is. Uh, and I hope that you guys have a nice day. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.